Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Rovers Returned podcast. I'm Paul Worthington, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Simon Burns. Tonight, we'll be discussing Sam Allardyce's time as Blackburn Rovers manager, up to and including the takeover of Venkies, resulting in Allardyce's ultimate demise. It's safe to say we've reached the panic and crisis mode period of Blackburn Rovers' time in the Premier League during the first decade of the 21st century. The top six finishes and enjoying the likes of Duff, Janssen, Friedland, Bellamy are way behind us now. So settle in as this ride is about to get very bumpy, I'm afraid to say. Simon, uh, good to see you. Let's dive straight in because we have an ambitious agenda tonight's episode. Um, I'm going to say the Sam Allardyce era of Blackburn Rovers. And what's the first memory that comes to your mind? First memory that comes to my mind is um, two guys last game, Leewood Park, a nil-nil um, draw with uh, Tony Mowbray's West Brom. So some nice kind of, um, yeah, a, a nice hat tip to um, our now third longest serving manager. Um, but I think I think more, more important than that is the fact that um, we were kind of completely outplayed by, by West Brom at home. It was a really drab affair. I mean, Jason Roberts getting sent off didn't help, but um, yeah, it was just like quite, I hadn't seen Blackburn all that much that season, but it was like last game of the season, party atmosphere, great, great weather. And then we just turn up at Ewood and it was like, oh God, this is, this is really hard against West Brom that had finished a comfortable bottom of the league that season and been relegated and yet they they kind of ran rings around us even prior to, to Jason Roberts' uh, departure so it was just a bit of a yeah like oh god this is this isn't fun really and this should be a massive send-off to one of our most creative players of the last decade and it just it just wasn't um and yeah I think that for me sums up <laughs> some analysis tenure yeah, it, it, I think well, that's, that's quite funny. It does sum up and it kind of speaks volumes, doesn't it, really, in terms of this this period of Blackburn Rovers. And, and just looking at the game now, it's really interesting. You mentioned the Toby Mowbray connection. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see him leading West Brom to a comfortable 20th uh, in, the, in the table in the Premier League. So I don't know what that says about our future prospects if we were to ever return uh, to the Premier League. The other thing that stands out to me in this game is the attendance. It's over 28,000 for an essentially meaningless game playing the relegated dead rubber, West Brom. Like, end of the season, dead rubber, nothing, nothing on it, party yeah. atmosphere. But exactly <laughs> that, that, that. You know, if if you want, if you want to like to articulate to non Rovers fans how much two guy meant as a player, put it this way: a, a, a team that could probably barely this game outside of this context is probably getting what eighteen thousand, maybe nineteen thousand. Maybe a couple of bit more of them being generous, but to get 28,000, that's all there for two guy. And mm. that's almost like 10,000 extra people. That's like yeah. ninth of the population of Blackburn have come out on top <laughs> to, to see this. So that's, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, what percentage you would say a player would come out to see a, some, a player who was playing for say Chelsea or Arsenal and calculating a ninth of the population of London coming out to watch them. But, you know, I think when you put the percentages in, 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 in sort of like perspective, you kind of realise how much two guy was revered. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. We can, there's some, some creative accounting going on there perhaps, <laughs> to, make, to make it seem even more impactful than it, than it undoubtedly was. But, um, but yeah, just um, interesting kind of juxtaposition 
that game. A lot, a lot going on, um, and we didn't lose. So I guess again, does that sum up kind of the philosophy of um, of a lot of um, Sam Allardyce's time at Rovers? But what about you? Where do you stand on the the Allardyce era in terms of main memories? So the first thing that comes to my mind is not only in terms of this era, but also probably one of my top Rovers moments and games I probably have ever been to was the Burnley at home game um, the following season. So this was Allardyce's only full season in charge, played Burnley home and away, won both games. Um, and we won 3-2 at Ewood. And there's just something about the atmosphere that day was just the, the, these two clubs meeting in the top flight. I don't know when the last time that would have been probably we could search back to the record books and find that but there was just something so much more meaningful about it, it wasn't a cup game it was like a proper league game in the Premier mm-hmm. League and it was it was a chance for I guess the rest of the world to witness the sort of like the importance of this this rivalry and derby and to bring it into the into the Premier League because I think something I've always found really just annoying about Sky Sports in particular trying to big up rivalries the Southampton Portsmouth rivalry or the Norwich Ipswich rivalry. I'm sorry, but like they're just not. They're not, they're not the these same. Lancashire derby. They're not the same. You, you you had some very kind of like hardened footballers who've played in some very big derbies, including the Old Firm, and all say this is you know the East Lancashire derby is a it's a it's a real thing. It, it means something, and it's a very fiercely contested game. And I remember my memory of that game, I was sat, it was, it was interesting because I was at university at the time, so I didn't have a season ticket. So I didn't sit in like a my, uh, my, well, my quote unquote regular area. I sat in the Riverside stand. It was probably like four or five rows from the front. It was quite close towards the Darwin end. It's great, great view. And mm. I just remember the atmosphere just being absolutely electric. And then Burnley, I, yeah, Burnley take the lead after like five minutes and I, I think my friend who I was with, I think he said to me after the game, he was like, when that goal went in and Burnley, the Burnley fans erupted, he goes, I was really worried about your mental health. <laughs> you, look, <laughs> you, look like, you look like you were crushed. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's this way at all kind of, um, at all stadiums, but for Darwin and at Ewood, at Ewood Park, where the away fans sit, when they score, they seem to explode out of it. <laughs> I imagine none, none more so than when Burnley score, threatening to overturn. What would it have been like a thirty-five-year kind of yeah, maybe exactly. not losing streak, and, but not winning streak at Ewood? God, that must have been pretty visceral. Yeah, it really, it really was. I, I'd say that was probably of this whole era, actually, of Blackburn Rovers. I think it was probably the second loudest goal celebration I heard in Ewood Park only to be matched and bettered by when Celtic scored. Like, I genuinely thought that the ground was, was, was falling. <laughs> I thought it was falling apart when Celtic scored. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and then Burnley, Burnley was a close second though. There were people jumping everywhere. Um, there were people like diving over, 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 over each other. Like, and that was, that was only five minutes into the game. So scored, st- scored too early. Scored yeah, too scored too early. So for us to pull it back with three goals if they're in the remaining first half to take it to 3-1 and fairly comfortably in the end, it was 3-2, but their consolation goal was right at the end in, in, in the 90, 90th minute. But mm-hmm. that game... Owen Coyle's Burnley as well. 
don't yeah, know. Owen, I don't know oh, yeah, so both of our memories have got links to links to Rovers manager, yeah, yeah. some less good than others. But yeah, that that, <laughs> made, that game really sticks in my mind because it was just such an electric atmosphere in what was otherwise quite a dull season, which I think we'll, we can unpack that. Uh, sort of leaving that Easter egg there. We'll unpack that. Yeah, you, you've, you've, re- you've really teed that up well. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that later. Bones out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously the last episode was all about the ins, the ins era, the very short-lived ins era. And mm. we kind of ended the episode in terms of, I guess, the, the deflated nature of the experiment failing and also the concerns and panic, panic lights, really, in terms of are we in too big a hole to climb out of? Do you think when you heard Allardyce had been appointed, you could have thought of anyone better to get us out of that situation? And how do you wrestle that thought with, were you actually happy with the appointment as opposed to like the football we'd had under, say, Mark Hughes? Um, I think, yeah, I, I think there was a massive sense of relief when Allardyce took over. Um, I think I remember speaking to you at the time and you were like, unequivocal. It's like, we're not getting relegated now. It's done. It's done. And one we of my better thinking, takes. One of my better yeah, takes. Yeah, it was, it was a classic. It was a classic poor big take. Um, and people only remember them if they're right. Case exactly, in point. Exactly. Exactly. So Get off the fence. Get off the fence. Yeah, yeah you, you called it. Um, you called it completely right there. Um, and it was infectious. Your take on it, I must say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was. Um, I was really relieved. Um, I thought he had gotten a really rum deal at Newcastle. Um, where I think was his previous managerial job because he'd done so well at Bolton. Um, yeah. Admittedly, like sometimes with a pretty direct style of play, but he brought in people like, you know, Akotcha and I think Nakata played there as well. So some ageing greats he'd brought in. So he'd, he, he still he still had the reputation of keeping size in the division, not quite as laboured a reputation as he had, well, like 10 years later, um, I would say. Um and yeah, I think it was just like relief. He's come in um, and but obviously tempered to a certain extent by the fact that it's not a managerial, a managerial appointment with a potentially really high ceiling, I would say, where even though um, Ince was ultimately dreadful, I still thought, you know, notwithstanding everything we said in the last episode, it was a massive gamble. If the gamble had come off, and it's actually turned out to be a bit of a Guardiola. We could have, we could have, like you know, done really well. It just turned out that he he wasn't, and he was rubbish. Um, so I think, <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was just like Allardyce. Yes, he's not really going to get us like where we were under Mark Hughes, but he's going to keep us in the division, and he's going to make us solid. And from where we were at the start of that season, yeah. That was that was a massive leap forward. So yeah, I think a genuinely quite positive reception to his to his appointment. Yeah, that's really interesting, and it's 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 it also fascinating to look back at some of like the media commentary around when he took over and the recognition that like this was just this was what the club needed. Mm. You know, maybe the in hindsight the in signing like to your point was quite idealistic and well intentioned, similar to the Hughes signing. Mm. That's that's gone out the window now, and it's all about it's all hands on deck. We have to stay in the league. I think we're five points from safety when he takes over, and it's just Gosh, it's, it's just so imperative. Bad. It's I so know. imperative that we dig out of this hole. And to your point, when you mentioned the West Brom game, it's a good side. 
I look mm. back at this starting 11 for the Blackburn's uh, first game under under Allardyce and like firstly you realize just how good uh, how good a side it actually is and secondly you also then go back to like the teams under Ince and you're like what is he doing like why why are we, why? we straying back into the last episode yeah i know <laughs> i know i know we, we shouldn't be doing that but <laughs> no, no, no go ahead. If, it, it's interesting i look at the, the the so the stoke stoke at home was a first first game when three nil with three nil up mm. inside half an hour if that's not a damning indictment of what the squad thought of, of playing on the ins then i don't know what is but i actually just looked as like you look at the look at the starting lineup and it comes back to that point about we talked about the solidity in the defense it's like Ryan Nelson, Samba, Warnock, Ouya. Like, play the players where they're supposed to play. Put Warnock at left back. So it's very is Ouya playing as a right back. Yeah, that's probably he played most of the time. I think under Allardyce, if I can remember okay. remember correctly. Okay. And then two, mm. your two strikers. You've gone from Santa Cruz, who's pretty ineffectual by this point, and Derbyshire, who was also never effectual, um, under Wigan. Olympia prospected if ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, to this game, McCarthy and Roberts. And that became like the stalwart for for, for mm. Allardyce. I, I kind of associate Roberts and McCarthy with Allardyce, you know, for better or <laughs> in, in terms of that partnership, if, if you know what I mean. That's really, it's really interesting. I, I, because... Did, did they? I, I, I can't actually remember whether they were the stalwart kind of front two of Allardyce's kind of sole season in charge. Because I think, considering we'll get we'll get onto this, that you know Kalinic was perhaps well, one of the marquee signings and marquee forward signings, but we don't associate him as the kind of the focal point of that Blackburn Rovers team, which is just quite interesting in in of itself, really. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. Like I, I do associate McCarthy and Roberts. I think particularly Roberts because he's given his style of play. It's <laughs> you have to contrast this though with later in the season because let's not forget this was also the season where we ended up playing Samba as a lone striker for a good good period of the season, if I remember correctly. I definitely remember playing Liverpool away where Samba was the only player we had up front. That. <laughs> He wouldn't. He wouldn't have started like that, though. Would he? <laughs> he was out and out really, striker. I, I I completely like mis misremembered that. I because I sometimes it might have been like Martin Yol at Tottenham who would like you know the game's nearly gone. Throw Ledley King on as a as right. a kind of a yeah to, to just cause chaos chaos in the opposition box. But if we're starting with Samara front, yeah, there was a definite period. I can't remember how many games it was. Or was it, I mean, he was the he was the focal point of our of our of our of our attacking line. And the reason it's so vivid in my memory because I remember watching some games at university, and one of my like friends, like who I'd watched a lot of games with, he would just like laugh and just couldn't believe how we would play a centre half up front. And I couldn't really, I didn't really have a way of defending it other than just, well, Samba's really big and strong and powerful and that kind of suits Allardyce's football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, Sam Allardyce no doubt knows a lot more about football than, than us, but it's still... <laughs> yeah. Does he? You'd hope, you'd hope. But yeah, when that, when when he's playing a centre-half as a centre-forward and that is your response to having the, the mickey taken out of you, it, it feels... Feels a bit a bit feeble. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it also it comes into the January transfer window, and we talked last episode about how poor the summer signings were under Ince, and immediately brings in uh Gail Givet on loan, great, mm. great warrior, uh, as mm. I think he would like to regard him regard himself. 
And El Hajjouf, I believe he arrived in, in that transfer window as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, certainly want to divide opinion. Um, and it was, yeah, it felt, felt a little bit like, you know, he's, he's, he's going into his familiar bag of tricks. Yeah. Well, Duf had like, played from that Bolton, right? I think if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duf was yeah, you know, right. synonymous with with uh, Allardyce and Bolton, yeah. um, having you know like not really done it at, at Liverpool. I think he then went on to really establish himself. I think then he went to Rangers, and then he went to us, um, or maybe I don't know if I've got that the right way around. I think but, he went uh, to Rangers after us, if I remember. Correctly. No, you're right. Yeah, he went to Rangers yeah. after us. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, but I even. Even though like Al Hajjouf wasn't even then widely known as like a, a great guy um, and someone you want to hold up as like the face of your family-oriented club, it, it did seem like we're in a we're in a relegation fight. Probably having someone with some real tenacity, um, bit of a bit of a kind of um, yeah, a bit of gamesmanship as well. It's and just a bit of kind of like savvy and now is 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 absolutely the kind of the right kind of thing that that you need. Um, so yeah, no 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 massive kind of like regrets over the over the Juve signing. But and like you say, Juve was just all industry, all energy. Was willing to put every single part of his body on the line um, yeah. <laughs> in pursuit of the cause. So yeah. He, he was he like I said he was he was a warrior he, and he got a lot of respect from from the fans and he also just suited this style of team that we were kind of morphing into with the likes of Duf, Jive, and then calling on just like the the, the core uh, hardness of people like Samba, Nelson, Roberts. You know they were a tough tough team. Yeah. You know, yeah. even even Brett Emerton, even Brett Emerton, like I, he was also a pretty pretty tough mean one actually. Which might yeah. goes, I think, wouldn't probably, and maybe, maybe fans outside the club may not have assumed that they might not even remember who Brett Emerton is. In fairness, <laughs> but I always remember him having a bit of a darker side to him. Like you know, he was if he was a Jedi, I would never have trusted him uh, uh, going into the going into the light side. Absolutely not. Uh, but I mean, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, he's. And when you compare that or combine that with the fact that he was a he was a big guy, a big athlete, he was you physical, know, yeah, like he was very really, physical. really physically um, imposing as a as a player, and yeah, you throw it throw him into the mix with the the likes of the players you just mentioned, then yeah, it's um, it's all is it is it essentially the same playbook as Hughes employed um, when uh, he successfully stabilised the club after Sunes' departure. It's almost just like just get in some hard men and just make yourselves really, really difficult to play against. That's um, so true. That's a great take. There's a great. I've never, I've never actually <laughs> like thought about it in that way, that comparison before. But I think you're absolutely spot on. That 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 should be in some sort of like Premier League guide to survival. You know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> just get just get some absolute units. Yeah, <laughs> find the hardest <laughs> players you can. Put them in your team. Put your biggest centre half up front. And you will grind out enough results. And the, the flip side of that, though, is that this also this also began the period under kind of was under Allardyce's uh, reign, really, where we just almost seemed to not try against the big teams. Yeah, you could almost yeah. guarantee there was going to be a four, five, six nil against the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, and you can actually see that starting to creep in 
in the back end of that first season when we're pushing for survival, you know, defeats away at Arsenal 4 0, away at Liverpool 4 0, away at Chelsea. It's like at least under Hughes, you kind of felt you had a fighting chance of like actually going toe to toe with these teams, right? Yeah, no, you're you're completely right. I mean, I remember that Liverpool game in particular because I was um I was at university in Liverpool and I was I was working <laughs> I was working in the in the H and M at the time and then some Rovers fans kind of came in after the game and obviously I hadn't I hadn't been able to see the results because they didn't allow phones on the shop floor um, and yeah they were just like four 0 absolute you know drubbing. Um, yeah. but the they did make a big thing about the Torres goal and I was like I yeah I think it's, I, don't care it's, I think that. it's regarded as one of his best best ever for me I mean it, it was it was ridiculous it did really I think I think this is something else we we see we observed about Paul Robinson I think he did at least dive for that one which Jeez. is a rarity because Paul Robinson absolutely perfected the craft of not diving for shots but making it look like it would have been pointless to have even tried and just like watch it go over his head and it's like statuesque never saving that so i'm just gonna kind of almost stand back and like just applaud and it's like maybe you could have saved that if if you'd have dived for it but yeah that's brilliant that's brilliant i'm 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 just looking at the lineup for that game and it's showing the formation and yeah samba is listed as (laughs) samba as uh as the number nine with david dunn playing behind him (laughs) <laughs> really that, that like, is brilliant that is brilliant that, that Liverpool scene was ridiculous in terms of how good it was and like the idea of putting your most yeah. athletic and versatile centre-half not in defence again yeah Allardyce is renowned for his scientific methods of coaching teams so I'm sure there was some scientific method in the madness but that seems mad yeah it was a good <laughs> Liverpool side wasn't it I mean so it was. Gerard, Gerard wasn't even playing in this game um, but they had like Mascherano Ma- and Alonso. Mascherano and Alonso uh, sitting. And then I always thought, well, Dirk Cout was okay, but I always thought that Riera on the left, I always felt he was the biggest weak link. And if they'd had someone yeah. half decent, I think they could have, because this is the season that they, they that United just pipped them to the title. I do think Liverpool could have yeah, won the title yeah. that year if they'd Definitely. had someone like Benny Yoon and Riera. That's not, it's not, it's not good enough. It's not I, good I, enough. I, Paul, I heard a lot about this living in Liverpool. <laughs> you know? No stone was left unturned and as to the weaknesses in Albert Riera's game. Um, right. In what was otherwise, I think with some justification, like the best midfield in the world when you've got Gerard, Gerard, um, Xavi Alonso, Mascherano. That is, yeah, yeah. That is and then Torres, it was really the flanks, wasn't it? It was Dirk Cow and Riera. I mean, Dirk Cow, it was not, he's not the level. Yeah, he was okay. He was okay. Nah. Anyway, this is not a this is not Liverpool. <laughs> this is, going down a bit of rabbit hole. Might have been for Liverpool in 2009. Yeah. But I, th- uh, I think I think you've kind of like brought us quite well to the end of the season. That comparison of Hughes and Allardyce. Now, if we think back to our episode with Hughes, that's really where he starts to, you know, sprinkle a bit of flair and uh, excitement in amongst the the tough, resolute defend defense that he built with the acquisitions mm. of like Bellamy and stuff. And we go on to have a really successful and very, like I think widely regarded, but good style of football um, team. Now yeah. Allardyce has obviously got his summer, summer window to, to do that. Doesn't really opt for the Hughes model and trying to play expansive football. If anything, he probably starts to double down on who he is <laughs> and who he always has been in his managerial career. 
but like let's let's take the summer and let's you know i mean have you, if you think about the the ins and outs that summer the big one the big out uh was roque santa cruz or did he leave in january i can't remember maybe he left in january by then warnock left that summer anyway irrespective derbyshire the arcos as you, as you kind of gave a reference to um but yeah i mean how how are you feeling with the with an Allard- with a season allardyce has got a chance to put his stamp on the team actually have a full transfer window in the summer um i i mean the two the two main signings that really stand out for me are unzonzi and kalanic um that steven unzonzi who was even at the time while widely heralded as like potentially the next Patrick Vieira. So if someone comes in with that kind of like label, it's 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 amazingly exciting. And it's not it's not like I'm going for an Akotcha or an Akata or an aging great, even though he, he did in a different way. Um, but yeah. having someone like that at the very centre of the midfield, uh, that was really, really intriguing. Um and Kalinic as well, like a really, I think intriguing is the right word, a, re- a real potential prospect there. Um, so there was there was definite kind of excitement in terms of the two, for me, marquee signings that he that he brought in. I don't, I guess with the, Santa Cruz was always going to go and Maybe even by that point, there were feelings that he had been a bit of a one-season wonder um, for us. He was yeah. very, very injury-prone. I mean, he had been, he had been career, all right? the that way. Was the thing that, yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, that, that, that's what had held him back. So yeah. we we got a full season out of him and showed how good he could be. But his career at City was blighted by injury as well. So yeah. I think him him going was no no major surprise and and ultimately no major loss. Stephen Warnock, I think we bigged him up in the last episode with good reason. I think he was fantastic for overs. Um, and just another sign that our best players were being snapped up and not necessarily by the biggest clubs. No, we went by, to Villa. Like, he went to Villa. And it's like, no, no disrespect to Villa, but... They are a team. nothing club. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to... I was going to say they were like... A sixth through tenth club at the time. Well, we're <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> but the fact that we couldn't hold on in the face of that kind of prospect was like, oh, really? yeah. Although, That's in fairness, that. in fairness to you know, not to be totally unfair to Villa, this was when they had that 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 like surge, didn't they? They had a pretty good team around like Ashley Young, James Milner, Friedel. <laughs> Yeah. so they did actually have a pretty good team this was like the oh yeah they, no they, they did they did they were, they were a cut above us um at the time but i think it's just a bit like it's not like bellamy going to liverpool um or even yeah. um santa cruz santa going, going to like, city as well right i can take that because he's going to yeah. team with big money limited, that makes so, sense yeah so so yeah i think the the signings on balance pretty good i would say um and I'll, and i think you He'd, he'd done a fantastic job stabilising and now had been given licence to 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 put his own stamp on the club and hadn't hadn't spent a huge amount by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, intriguing. Intriguingly positive. That's what Intrig- I'm going for. Yeah. 
So I agree with you on both those signings. And Zonzi was such a, I always felt he was a bit of an enigma, really. Like, I never yeah, that's of, exactly really yeah. well. He loved a transfer request as well, but that's, that's further, further on. Yeah, well, we'll get, to the, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a later episode. But yeah, he, he did feel like he had something that, I don't know, maybe we never fully saw it at Rovers for maybe for other reasons. But I mean, mm. Michelle Salgado as well was like a classic kind of like Allardyce signing. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, you know, that's classic. Yeah, and I think he 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 and himself. I mean, obviously, was not nowhere near as long at the club as Two Guy, but still, I kind of think left with that cultish status in terms of you know Real Madrid to Blackburn Rovers, not the path that most footballers take. But respect, you know, respect for him to come to the Premier League, wanting to try it out, and he seemingly enjoyed his time here. From from like I think how he's talked about it. Well, not the end of it, and the end of it anyway, but. He's, uh, this full season he had with the club, he, I, de- I definitely get the sense, I'm sure I've read pr- previously that he did enjoy his time. And that's pretty cool. You know, some player who's mm-hmm. won it all, mm-hmm. been there, done everything, played in the World Cup, won the Champions League. But, you know, coming to East Lancashire and playing in the Premier League for us actually was a pretty, he, he seemed to enjoy that career experience. So I think that's, that's a good, that's a good kind of like uh, feel. That's a, ni- that's a nice moment, isn't it? Or yeah. a, nice, a nice thing to associate with this time that someone like that could come and have a really good time and leave despite the way in which he left, have really good things to say about the club. So, yeah, massive respect to Salgado. Yeah. So the other, the other transfer um, I want to mention before we jump into the season is we've played a few games throughout this, this podcast series of what if, like how a transfer might have gone, taken a different direction or an injury that had or haven't happened, shout out to David Thompson, could have, could have really <laughs> uh, changed the direction of the club. There's obviously the biggest transfer now in this in this this summer, summer of 2010, during the European Ash Cloud fiasco that grounded air traffic and ultimately led to the to us not being able to sign to sign Lewandowski, right? That's mm-hmm. I still don't really I, I cannot really comprehend that didn't happen because if we had signed him, well, obviously everything that transpired afterward would have still happened. But you'd have been guaranteeing yourselves at least 20 goals that season, maybe the season after, and then you're selling him for an outrageous amount of money, probably to a Premier League club, but then because he's not going to go to Germany after that, I don't think. And ended up, we ended up with Nikola Kalinic instead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 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 quite a damning comparison. Although Kalinic ultimately went on to play for AC Milan and people like that, which is surprising considering how prolific he was at Rovers. It's yeah. a, an amazing, like, what if, isn't it, oh. really? Because just as you're saying... It's such that, a tease. We're not getting relegated because, ultimately, we're not getting relegated, maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> Lewandowski, Lewandowski signed, as you say, 20 goals minimum this season. And what yeah. the, ne- the next highest goal scorer was, was Dunn. So rather than... Dunn, Dunn's just assisting, just teeing it up for Lewandowski. Oh. Then... It, it, like we don't we're not we're not in the same kind of like perilous state afterwards because yeah we just it doesn't history doesn't follow that route of us getting pumped 7-1 by United by United and stuff no, like that and it's no, just I guess the question is does does that signing does that signing prevent him getting sacked three games in by Venkis because actually the team is actually doing really well and there's a, and there's an asset there who is just powering the club forward presuming he stays more than one season oh, i don't know I, I feel the external advisors are probably still, still getting, getting sacked. Sacked, aren't they yeah they probably he would are. still get sacked yeah and it, actually yeah. i 
it's this season and then he stays the season when Keane takes over and then he leaves at the end of that season because he's like, I am not getting managed by Steve Keane. <laughs> and I don't think any Rovers fan would have uh, would have held, held yeah, any we'd, we'd argue that. that. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is, it's amazing. Though. I mean, hasn't, hasn't Lewandowski come out and like flatly denied any kind of link whatsoever with, with Blackburn Black, Black Road? I couldn't find that in the research. But yeah, I think so like, that's so interesting that you say that. Now, is this the case, you know, they have like, they talk about collective false memory in society. And I also is this, is this the most, is, is this the most I, I know it's a story that Rovers fans that. love to tell, and there have been a number of articles written about it. So I, I was Googling and having a, having a look for this, and I couldn't find a story to corroborate the fact that he actually had flatly denied it. But I swear I've also recently yeah. uh, read he had denied it. I'd read stuff where he actually confirmed, but what I read online was him saying that he actually had talked to Allardyce. I think he'd even met Allardyce and saying that he was looking forward to playing for Allardyce and things like that. So maybe, maybe he did downplay it, but who cares if he did? The story and the rumour, and there is... Yeah, the whole ash cloud. There's smoke without fire. Yeah, exactly. Well, li- yeah, literally, that's right. Very- <laughs> um, Say no more. <laughs> so Allardyce, Allardyce's season in charge, that's the 2009 2010 season for those who are who are keeping track of this thing. Um, it's it, it's quite boring and uneventful, isn't it? It is. You, you've you've already touched upon it in terms of like almost throwing games where against the big sides um, from the, in the previous season, it, it, like just going through again, the, the results, it's like what, there are no like statement or f- fun results. Um, certainly not up until Christmas. I think looking through it, is it like a nil nil at home against Liverpool is like, oh. actually that's, that's, that's great. That's, that's, that's the first like point taken away from any of like the big sides, and it's just, yeah. it's just such a um, such an instrumental approach to football. It reminds me of you know how like Mourinho was always kind of um, presented as um, running kind of Manchester United. Yeah. Like he yeah. will, you will grind out the results, but the style of play is horrible, and when things go wrong, you have absolutely no goodwill to fall back on. And that is just one of the things that I remember. It was like, and also when you're never, ever going to win or you don't even set yourself up to win the big games, it makes the games around, uh, the games against those teams around you far more stressful and pressurized because it's not like, it's not like you've got anything to fall back on. It's like, these are now already the horrible phrase, like six pointers and Fine, if you look back at the season and you won the vast majority of your six pointers and got yourself a decent end, end result, it's not fun as a fan at all. And no, it's just really not. That, and that, that's just what really, really stands out for me from the Allardyce side. Yeah, it's just yeah, not... it kind of blurs together, doesn't it, really, this season? Like, it really... Yeah, massively. I, it's, it's difficult. It blurs together, but also, I think, partly because I didn't go to as many games this year. But if you look at the results, it's, it's, just, it's quite funny, really. There's a period from the end of November until just before the Boxing Day game, we have three nil-nil draws in a row and then two <laughs> defeats back-to-back. I must have been... I must have felt so bad after those five games. I must have been just... 
inconsolable. Terrible, like, isn't I, it? How can you get excited about, about this? And this is where the double-edged sword, right? And I think a number of teams and Bolton fans are probably including this. Like, we'll definitely throw Charlton fans into like the like Alan Kirbishley kind of like uh, era where you kind of get complacent about, mm, this isn't enough. Like, I, 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 I'm not just here to kind of like watch three nil-nil draws in a row, but guaranteed survival. Because... You know, it's it's it's. This is my entertainment time. This is something yeah. I'm invested in to be entertained and enjoy. And can I can I say that that Blackburn were enjoyable to watch that season? I mean, outside the Burnley game, which was an unbelievable event, like mm-hmm. like no, no. And I don't think I I remember. I, I think by this period, I, my, the, the the football I watched, I was so focused on watching like Rover, like Rovers games. And I say I didn't go to games, so I was probably uh, watching them uh, streaming wise, but when you watch a Rovers game and then you compare it to like watching a Champions League game, it was just, it just made me realize how bad the football was, how, yeah. how sort of direct the play was. And it was just hard to get excited about it. Yeah. Massively. And I mean, just, just looking at the run that you mentioned there, it's not like it's, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, it's nil nil at home to Stoke, nil nil at home to Liverpool Nil nil away to Hull, and then a two one defeat away to Birmingham, and then a two nil defeat at home to Spurs, and then there's two more draws after that as well. <laughs> yeah, one one all away Wigan. Sorry, I know this, this, this must sound incredibly tedious just reading out the results, but it's a reflection of how tedious it was kind of watching it, and it's just yeah, I it's just a season that never never caught fire. Um, and maybe it never could, but it's just really interesting because it's a season that's that's been analysed and probably overanalyzed mostly by us, but I imagine other, other Rovers fans because of this is the last point of contrast, really, of you know a full season with Allardyce in charge, Blackburn Rovers under the Walker Trust, and we finished 10th. And we were absolutely fine and dandy. And then you compare it with the chaos that came afterwards, and it is just like you had all, you had it all, and you blew it. And it's like there is a lot to that, of course there is. But as to your point, football is entertainment or should be entertainment, and it's not, it's not just attrition, and it's not just survival, and it's not just grind. That's yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so true. You know what it is, and this is not work. This is this is a release. And yeah, I think it's just yeah, it's 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 it's, tough. The thread it's, there, it's, it's quite a philosoph- <laughs> it's quite a philosophical debate, right? Because what are we what are we hoping for? Like at the end of the season, and sitting there with my tenth tenth table finish, secured Premier League status, have I enjoyed it? Am I am I enjoying am I enjoying it? And like, am I happy? I don't know. Mm. Like, I'm so I'm sure there'll be lots of fans out there who will say they are because it's not just about the game. It's about the experience and everything goes around it. And it's like, yeah, it is, but it's also, you know, that's Mm. like saying I like going to a a vineyard and I like walking around, seeing all the grapes. When I actually taste the wine, it tastes awful. Like I I still (laughs) want the wine to be nice. The end product. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, why am I wasting my time there? (laughs) It's, it's different. I guess we should probably like, you know, point of context, both of us were away from home you know at this yeah. time so that that has to be it has to be put in its perspective but at the same time 
this season could have we win the last two games we beat Arsenal at home the first I would say big happy exciting result yeah and I think it's our two centre halves that score but you know fine um, and then we beat Villa away at Villa Park 1-0 so six points from the last two games I think we get 50 points for the season which is it's just a it's a nice round number I think it takes I good think number. we get 50 points and we get um, we get 10th but if we Judging by the season, we probably lose both of those games. And then we get 44 points and we finish 14th or so. And it's just like, and then it's a really, it's a really flat season. It was a flat season anyway that was massively flattered by those last two results. Yeah. And I guess it's just, I guess it's just interesting to kind of put this in its broader kind of sweep of history, if that's not too particular uh, um, exaggeration just because we we just think about it and you and I think about it and reflect on it so much considering what came next but this was a really really well-run organization you would say and it was really hard and it was really not fun it was quite painful so yeah going to the, the counterfactual route if we don't sell to Venkis is Allardyce going to stay all the time? And is, are we going to get relegated anyway? I don't know. That's, that's a whole different... No, it's a, that's a good question, though. Let's take it there, because I think, I think that's a nice segue into, into the, the final season of, of, of uh, Allardyce's... Well, the first half of the season, anyway, until he was, until he was fired, um, mm. of, his, of his tenure at Blackburn Rovers, because you're, you're, you kind of like make an interesting question around that hyper, like sort of counterfactual of, like, what happens if he, like, think he's hadn't taken over and Allardyce had just stayed? Something that I kind of really had forgotten in the research for this episode was I was looking at the, the transfers for the arrivals that se- uh, for the for the that following season, and the there were not the uh, 2010-2011 season. Yeah, like, there were no we didn't we didn't buy anyone of any for any money. There was no there was no there was no signings. <laughs> really. Yeah, like there might have been some free signs. We, I, I, and I, I don't know the exact dates on here. So I know we signed Benjani, but I mean, he was a free transfer and anyway. Oh, yeah. uh, like yeah. Mama Duf from United, he was a loan signing. And then after that, you're looking at signings that Steve Keane made, Jermaine Jones, your hero, in the, in, the January, in the January, in January, in the January window. And I actually had to go and like, I actually went and found like a season preview for this year uh, to see what kind of people were saying. Because like, I just found it was so bizarre that we were making no signings as a mid-table club. And mm. the, the kind of the preview I read essentially said that their view of Blackburn Rovers was that they, you know, they we're going to fall because we're just standing still. We've not invested. And mm. all the teams around us in that lower to mid-middle part of the, of the pack were all investing getting better. And we'd signed Benjani on a free transfer. It's, yeah, and I think yeah. that for me really kind of solidified the limitations of the financial structure that the club had by that point. Now, mm-hmm. in fairness to them, they were probably realizing that there was potential interest, so they did not want to put any more money into the club. But or borrow more money. Well, yeah. yeah, but that said, it's quite an indictment of the situation that a team in the Premier League, and you know, we're not. It's not like we won the league and we don't need. We don't. We, our squad is. It's in, it's in champion <laughs> condition. It doesn't need improving. Like yeah, it needed yeah. improving. It needed improving, and we didn't it do did. anything. That that's, for me is a, really really telling. 
that's amazing that's so that's really um yeah that's that's uh, yeah tell, telling is telling is right there um yeah god but i mean i think allardyce, allardyce mentions it himself when reflecting on the Lewandowski non-transfer and i think he's like blackburn were operating under pretty severe financial constraints at the time um and yeah clearly clearly that is that is coming through in the in the lack of signings and yeah i mean benjani who just like he'd he'd kind of like petered out hadn't he at um was he at city i think he was um i think he might have yeah, signed for big money he for was. city from portsmouth and then or not actually cut it and we would have picked picked him up um, I think he scored a little. He scored a few goals against Liverpool at one point. I think, and Diouf was kind of promised, but yeah, they are, they are not they're not statement signings by any stretch, or really long term investments in the in the club. I guess if you were being generous, you could say that Nzonzi and Kalinic were both both so young that you were hoping that they would like continue their upward trajectory from the previous season, yeah, and really start to make it. Yeah. Make their own their their positions their own, and also Phil Jones emerged from the, from the academy this season as well. So that's yeah. almost uh, that's, a, that's a new notable player into the equation. Yeah, massively, and you know, like his versatility was was phenomenal. I think he played in both defense and in midfield that season. Didn't yeah, he? I think the first game I was looking at the first game of the season that year against Everton at home. I always play Everton in the first game of the season, yeah. uh, and it looks like Jones Jones was playing holding midfielder. In wow, front of Nelson really? Samba. Oh, that's pretty. He's, start, he's starting that game. Yeah, yeah. Wow, God, that is amazing. That's really. Um, that's yeah. That that's that is quite something considering that he barely featured the season before. Okay, see, seemingly he didn't. He didn't. That didn't see. This is clearly his breakthrough year. Is what is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, but then you you look again. August, September, October. Two wins. Um, from from that and there yeah a good opening day win against Everton which is actually like for that Blackburn side that's an amazing result to beat Everton um, yeah, and then beating Black, beating Blackpool away <laughs> and that, that, that's it those are your for those are your two wins in the opening three months of Premier League football and it's just like God football shouldn't be I didn't realise this it's interesting that sometimes the your own your perspectives and your views only come out as you as you talk it out. But it seems like I'm really negative on the other side. <laughs> and clearly, clearly I am because uh yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't leap off off the page or kind of stand out in your memory as a as No, a, I think I think because I think what we're doing though is we're comparing it to the highs of, of Sooners at the start of this period, which we talked about in previous episodes, and the highs of, of Hughes and the style of play under Hughes and the players and, and the players that played under him. And now we've transported to a few years down the line and the, I, the team just doesn't feel as likable to me. No, no, absolutely not. It's and not, I say though, that as a, as a fan, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it might sound strange to people to I'm hear that. I'm going to put it out there. I don't like this team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't it just it doesn't grab you in the same way that like the team that finished six under Hughes. I mean, obviously they're not the same players and they're not as good, but it's mm. just your point about knowing that you're going into United away and you know that it's going to be a, it's going to be a bloodbath. And then was that the game I think where Berbatov scored like six goals or something? He scored think, five. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. That was that was. I'm not having Berbatov. I saw. I, I went. To, bizarrely, I went to a lot of Fulham games when it, when he was playing for them, and 
yeah, maybe he wasn't quite as potent as he was for United, but he was just oh, to, to concede five goals against Berbatov. It's not like like Ronaldo or someone like that ripping through. It's like a pretty good Premier League centre forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. But that's that's an amazing segue, surely, because that seems to be that that's held up, isn't it, as the as the game that did it for for Allardyce and. The, the then newly installed owners. Yeah, so that's a good point. So it's 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 around this exact time that Venkis confirm their takeover of Blackburn Rovers, and it's funny reading reading the kind of the, the commentary and the press around the the, this, the actual takeover, and there's just such optimism around mm. this is the investment the club needs that the club has been almost this like life support stasis mode. For at least a couple of seasons, and you you rent you obviously mentioned that Allardyce referenced that in terms of how his reflections back on his time at Blackburn Rovers, and all of a sudden we've got these new billionaire foreign owners, the first Indian owners, and mm. looking back at some of the stuff now, and I, I'm sure I definitely bought into it at the time. They talk about opening up the Indian market for Blackburn Rovers, that that mm. they know how to crack India, and they're going to open up this whole fan base, and you're thinking that's hundreds of millions of Blackburn Rovers fans all of a sudden. And <laughs> it comes back to what we were just talking about. Why are they going to support this club if it's not playing good football? <laughs> like, why are they going to ditch their Man United, Liverpool, whoever you have shirts they're wearing and say, just because they've got an Indian owner, it's a very, very naive and simplistic way of thinking about sports fans and it's all it's mm. treating them for fools that they are inclined to support one club one way or another and i think these these two things are connected but just reading it back it's kind of like cringe now to see them say things like that of course yeah it certainly is now but I, so so <laughs> so just just to kind of like replay that did, did you did you then like when maybe maybe leaving ahead a little bit but like when alice ultimately was dismissed by the, by the owners were you able to rationalise it and say that, well, they are looking to tap the Indian market. The only way they're going to do that is with expansive, free-flowing, attacking football. You're not getting that with our eyes, so I back the owners. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put on public record that yes, that that was how <laughs> that was how I responded, and I'm, I'm, no, I'm big enough person to admit that that was how I, I, I embraced it enthusiastically. I was. Mm. I thought the signings of Ronaldinho and David Beckham were possibilities, <laughs> and uh, all we all we needed to do was find the next Hughes, give him a checkbook, and say, mm. "Right, off you go. Go and open up the Indian market by making us a top six tuck club every year, and mm. we will become a. Uh, not, obviously, we're never going to be a, a powerhouse, but mm. we'll be a solid, like top." you know upper middle upper middle or like top eight top top 10 team every season and have a good go at it in terms of the style of football so yeah i, I kind of mm. did buy into it because also why why would you think they would buy it and not do that like i think that's, that, the, the, that's a really the, interesting point the, the point no... that i hadn't accounted for was how poorly they'd be advised and how yeah. badly that people could get it up who claimed to know what they were doing that was the thing that blindsided me a little bit well, were there were there any like really high profile um, disasters uh, in terms of new owners coming in and the club 
just immediately plummeting? Because you, you had examples of a, had Gretna kind of just gone out of business. I always hold Gretna. It was all due to <laughs> Gretna. Like, but I don't... This, is, this is not the same level of, I, I know, but, I know, I, I appreciate the point you're making there. Appreciate but you've been, I think Hearts, they had the kind of, um, the Romanov guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He bought them and then, then he came in with like, you know, I'm going to make Hearts a huge team in Europe. And then they, I think they got relegated to the, the Scottish first division or something. Might be completely getting that wrong, but I, I too was, was not disappointed to see Allardyce go, particularly because um, of the um, game against Bolton. Um, oh, yeah. I think it was, I yeah, just looking at it now, it's, yeah, it's the last game of Allardyce. Yeah, that was um, the game. That, yeah, that was also pretty, uh, I think that really sort of was a nail in the coffin as well. Because we, we'd equalised and I think we played quite well. And then they just went and scored like really late on. It was like, oh, fuck. Geez, really, we can't can't just keep that result is so rovers, isn't it? We we score in the 87th minute and they score in the 88th minute. Yeah, yeah. But it was just going back to the kind of the previous point, it's like there was so much pressure on these games because these are the games where you get the points that will that that will solidify you. And it's like admittedly, we'd we'd beaten Wolves the game before and we'd we'd done well against um uh, Villa as well. I think the the, the game where the, the new owners were firstly kind of presented to the fans and given a kind of a, a warm reception. So I think um yeah I was I was just so frustrated by that game. I was so sick of like just this always playing the percentages so much. I was happy to take a take a kind of a swing with a with a with a new manager really. Um yeah. And yeah, especially yeah, you don't. There weren't, at least in my mind, those. Well, how is is this going to go really wrong? I mean, I can't point to some obvious kind of um, comparators. And also, you just had. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't thinking. Well, City have just been bought, and look at them. You know, it's it's it worked out amazingly well. Um, yeah, I think really, I, I, this is really interesting to talk this out with you in this kind of like level of detail because. I think the more I look back now at what was going on and reading it and reflecting on how I was absorbing it at the time almost makes me realize how I was almost trying, I was probably trying to delude myself and wanting the best. I couldn't, I couldn't expect or I couldn't really accept initially that these new owners had come in, had no idea what they were doing and were probably mm. going to dismantle the club which would lead to our ultimate relegation from the Premier League. It was much better to buy into a narrative that, yeah, Allardyce was playing pretty awful football, even if it was a secure way of keeping us in the division. Let's roll the dice, go for it. And and the the big warning sign that looking back now that I should have picked up on, um, but I didn't, was the comments from Ryan Nelson. And the fact that Ryan Nelson, who was the captain of the team, publicly was like criticizing the, the sacking of Allardyce, saying that the players were really unhappy or worse to that effect. Re- reading back his statement to like or comments to Lancashire Telegraph, I can't imagine a, a player doing that today. Yeah, you, you would. Yeah, it, it would be pretty well reading it back or listening to it back. It is pretty jarring isn't it and yeah. for that for that to be said like really really in kind of like direct kind of challenge to the to the new owners it's like the, the manager was was phenomenal we we were all lined up behind him and you've gotten rid of him 
you you better have a good plan and the inference being and from what i've seen you have none um is is pretty is pretty striking so the alarm the alarm bells or the warning signs whatever you want to say are all there massively illuminated by the with the benefit of hindsight um but it is just really interesting i mean do you remember what's one of the thing on allardyce well another another slightly kind of random thing about allardyce do you remember it was it may have been the season before when he said that he would be, he would be better suited managing Real Madrid. Um, when he was, and I think he was like, it's, I think it was ahead of the City game because he was saying, oh, Mark, no, it was ahead of the Fulham game because Mark Hughes was now managing Fulham having been sacked by City. And he said, I'm better, I'm better suited. Mark Hughes better suited to big clubs. You know, he didn't get as much time as he deserved at City. I didn't get as much time as I deserved at Newcastle. We'd both do really well. In Real Madrid, Chelsea, United, we'd both win the season, but win the league every season. I and I remember hearing that at the time, even and it and Allardyce became a bit of a figure of ridicule uh, in some of like comment pages and stuff like that. And it was just like, uh, like maybe there's something in what you're saying, but also we're not just like a, a holding pattern for you until you go on to a better better club. I mean, yeah. maybe we are, maybe we are, but that's not. I didn't feel like the reason I'm saying this is like. I felt bad for Allardyce, and I do feel bad for Allardyce, but not that bad because sometimes he said stuff like that, and it was a bit, a bit of a gaff, and I don't think it really endeared himself to the fans. So, he, yeah, he was, he was, he was always going to get sacked with new owners coming in. Yes, he got a really raw deal. Yes, he did a pretty good job, but I don't feel a, a real sense of warmth or real affinity towards him following his time. And I think just comments like that. Yeah. kind of summed him up a little bit um bit if anything the only I, I that's really really interesting I, I do agree with you I think also the thing that only probably saves him in any meaningful way is the sharp contrast that follows you can't <laughs> help see him in at least a little bit more of a positive light when you know the just car crash that is about to unfold in the next episode with Steve Keen. So I do, I agree with you. And I, I, I think if, 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 if they'd say, if they'd hired any other manager who'd been half competent, then I think we would have looked, we would look back at the Allardyce era in a different, in even more of a different way. Mm. And we would mm. probably focus on, yeah, he saved us from ins. Thank you. But after that, that just wasn't the right, it wasn't the right mix for us. It wasn't the right, right, mm. right thing. The thing mm. that I also came across in looking, researching this episode, which I don't remember at the time, it's really bizarre and it's not a great, I say, again, it's another warning sign from the Venkis that the Venkis come out and say that he, in his transfer dealings, he essentially got like nine, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 transfer decisions wrong. And that that was the reason for sacking him because his transfer policy. Thank you. The Venki said that about Allardyce. They said they? it in public. They said it in public. They, they gave it as one of the main reasons for getting rid of him. His transfer dealings were so bad, which given that we've just said that he didn't make any transfer signings, <laughs> it's not really a convincing, a convincing argument given he had no funds to work, work on it at Blackburn, but mm. was still able mm. to bring people like Michelle Salgado to the club. And El Hadjouf, for whatever people think of him, he was mm. a solid player mm. for us. Uh, yeah. Del Give, I think a lot of Rovers fans would regard him as a good oh, yeah. signing. So You can never never accuse him of not trying. Exactly. So the fact that she was willing to say that, and this is Madame Desai, uh, the owner of uh, Venkis, the fact that she was willing to say that 
just that, that again is another alarm bell of what are they seeing or who is who mm. more importantly who is telling them to say that because no offense she's not been through blackman rovers transfers or i doubt she has um yeah. credit to her if she has but even if even if she has how has she arrived at that conclusion because it makes no sense yeah i mean i'll, I'll give you a clue it's steve k or if that's too obvious s Keen. <laughs> 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 who, yeah. who, who is who is deep throat who's the, anon- <laughs> the anonymous tipster feeding all of this information yeah oh a um, slight Glaswegian twang but... yeah we've we've mentioned we've mentioned Venkis and Keen in the same sentence which to me feels like a good point to wrap because that's going to yeah. be the uh feature of our next feature length episode because there's no way you can talk about the Steve Keen uh, era of the Blackburn Rovers in the Premier League under Venkis in 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 any short form. I'm really I'm really looking forward to that. But before before we before we finally sign off, Simon, is there anything we haven't discussed or mentioned? Any shout out? Any player game goal? Probably not from what we're saying. But I'm just going to give you the opportunity in case there is. I think I think I would say. I mean, we haven't flagged the fact that I think we got to the League Cup semi final. We haven't in the boring season. Yeah, um, that was 10 and it's, I think that just like symbolizes the kind of contradiction or, yeah, the contradiction that was Allardyce's time in terms of he got a small town club like Blackburn Rovers, a 10th place finish and a, to a, a cup semi-final, the League Cup, but still a cup semi-final. Yeah. And yet this conversation has drawn out the fact that I have essentially no warm memories <laughs> Of Allardyce's time at Blackburn Rovers, and I think it's yeah. So it, it's just it's just interesting to reflect on that, considering what on paper pretty good achievements, and just really yeah. reinforces the fact that football isn't just about the, the what is on paper. It's about what you see. It's about the feeling. It's about the enjoyment, and that was just completely absent from Allardyce's time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I thoroughly agree. I thoroughly agree uh, agree on that. I think I've got two two kind of final comments before we conclude. So, I I think people could be listening to this episode and quite rightly conclude, wow, these these guys sound really ungrateful and <laughs> unappreciative of what of what they what they had. And actually, it serves them right for what happened next because they rolled the dice and weren't happy with what they had. And you know, if that's your view, fair play. The other thing on the on the on the League Cup semi final. Again, feels a very kind of Blackburn Rovers way to, to not make the final. We lose the home leg, I think, 1-0, one, one go to Villa Park. And if I said to you, we would score four goals in that game, I'd be pretty sure that we would be going to the final. Yet to then hear we lose 6-4. It's just <laughs> it's just crazy, right? It's just crazy. And we were 2-0 up as well. We were 2-0 up. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Although, very final point on that game, Martin Olsen's goal... If you've not seen it on YouTube, it's worth a look. It's one of it's, it's a okay, great, kicking. fantastic goal. It's a fantastic goal, and this is from a left back. Uh, remember that when you're watching it. But like, I would definitely recommend that goal. It's, it's an absolute corker. Um, all right. On that note, uh, I think we'll leave it there. An absolute corker is a good way to it. Absolutely, absolutely. I've really enjoyed this one. Although I have and I haven't, <laughs> in, a, in a way. Uh, it's been very illuminating. It has. I've, it has. I've learned these, things these about... These episodes are quite therapeutic for us to kind of talk out these eras, right? And next absolutely. Week, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the next episode in particular is going to, going to be that in spades. So I, this, will... this one has been 
needed for over a decade now. Yeah, we've, we've been building to this next episode, so you're going to have to bear with us. We're going to really enjoy this one. We'll see you next time for Steve Keen, and we will leave it there. Take care and thank you. Thanks, everyone.